A reading from Genesis. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The servant tricked me, and I ate. The Lord said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The word of the Lord. A reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that the grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasted away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what cannot, can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the world, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel today comes from the book of St. Mark, the third chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. The crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When Jesus' family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they had said he has an unclean spirit. 
Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. I want to open this morning with a simple question, and it's a question I want you to think about in your mind, possibly even answer in your mind. Just don't answer out loud. Will you struggle for the gospel? Will you struggle for the gospel? Now, when I say gospel, I don't mean, will you struggle to make sure that Christianity is defended? Will you struggle for the faith? Will you champion this this title? When I say gospel, I'm talking about what Jesus calls the gospel in the book of Mark, which we're reading today, chapter 1, verse 15, to be specific. When Jesus, or when the text says that Jesus traveled around the countryside preaching the gospel, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. I preached a sermon on this. This is the only time in all of the gospels where it explicitly says what the gospel is. That the kingdom of heaven is here now, through Jesus, specifically through this way of life that Jesus embodies and this way of life that Jesus calls us to embody. Will you struggle for that way of life, for that embodiment? I want you to just think about that for a little while. I'm going to move on. I want to give us some background today. We are in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Now, just some little church history real quick. Every November, the church calendar starts over. It doesn't wait until January. It starts over in November, right after Christ the King Sunday. And so we are in year B, which means we're reading the Gospel of Mark. However, through Advent and Christmas, through Lent and Easter, we don't read a whole lot from the Gospel of Mark. We really start the Gospel of Mark in the summer months. So here we are in June, starting the Gospel of Mark, and we're pretty much right at the beginning of the story. And so what's going on here is that Jesus has been baptized, has been blessed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is starting to call some of his apostles, and he's traveling around Galilee, his area, And he's preaching this gospel that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. And then Jesus is showing what that gospel looks like by healing people, by casting out demons, by welcoming people into his community that otherwise had not been welcomed into their respective communities. And so today's text starts right after Jesus has finally called all 12 of his apostles. This is the very first thing that happens when all 12 of them are fully assembled to be Jesus' apostles. 
And the very first thing that happens when they're gathered together is this moment of conflict that Jesus has with the religious authority of his days, with the Pharisees and the scribes that had come down from Jerusalem, all the way down from Jerusalem, just to see this guy that everybody was talking about. And because the religious authority was coming down on Jesus, Jesus' family gets word of this, and they come to Jesus too to try to rein him in because they're scared. So the religious authority and Jesus' own family is coming down to stop him from what he is doing. Now, we cannot stress enough how big of a deal this is, because these are two profound areas that one does not cross. In antiquity, you did not go against the religious authority, and you did not go against your own family. There's, those are probably the two biggest areas that you didn't cross, with the exception of maybe Rome. And the reason that the religious authorities are coming down on Jesus, the reason they're freaking out, is that Jesus is spreading the gospel. But he's not just simply out there talking. Jesus is out there acting. He is healing people who have disabilities, who have skin diseases. He is casting demons out of people who are are said to have been possessed. Now, the reason this is such a big deal, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but every time we see Jesus heal somebody in the Gospels, this is what always has to be in the back of your mind. Jesus is not just healing a person. He is declaring forgiveness upon them. Because the religious authority in this day said that a person was disabled, possessed, or had a skin disease, or whatever it is, because they had been cursed by God. Because either their family members, their ancestors, or they themselves had done something to sin against God. And so whatever ailment they had was their divine curse. The religious authority also had all of these different systems for which people needed to come and seek repentance or forgiveness or atonement for those curses. Yet here's Jesus walking around the countryside saying that people don't need to go to the Jerusalem temple. They don't need to abide by this religious structure, just simply healing them, which in essence is him declaring forgiveness over them. They are no longer cursed by God. Jesus is upsetting the entire religious order. He is taking authority from the scribes, the Pharisees, the people at the Jerusalem temple, and just casting out this blanket forgiveness over people. And then going even a step further, but including them into his community that he's starting, traveling around, just simply loving people. So when you look at the context of what's happening in this text today, You understand what Jesus is doing, how radical it is, and why the religious order is so angry, and why Jesus' family is so scared for his life. But the point of this text today is this. Nothing, nothing will stop Jesus from sharing God's radical love and grace. You better believe that Jesus knows exactly what's happening when these scribes and Pharisees and his family shows up. You better believe that Jesus knows exactly what's at stake 
It's kind of like when that person is doing something and suddenly a, a, a mob associate shows up and says, we expect you to stop doing this, you know, with a smile on their face and then walks away and you just know, all right, I got to stop. That's essentially what's happening here. Jesus knows what's at stake. It's a simple warning being given to him. But nothing will stop Jesus from sharing God's radical grace and love. We have this, this dialogue in our text about uh, Jesus being possessed, about a house divided, Satan against Satan. Really, all that's going on here is that the Pharisees are trying to discredit Jesus, trying to say that he's doing all of these things because he's crazy, because he has a demon inside of him. And Jesus quickly reduces that argument by saying a house divided against itself cannot stand. But then Jesus makes this central point in verses 28 and 29. I'll read it aloud. Jesus says, truly I tell you, people will be forgiven their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in these two verses here is that by going out and healing, by proclaiming the gospel, by being inclusive of people who were outcasts, Jesus is embodying the true spirit of God, what it means to be a person of faith. And within that spirit, everybody is welcome. Everybody is included, except for the people who will try to stop the gospel. Jesus looks at the religious order, the people who are meant to highlight what it is to be the presence of God in this world. And he's flipping it on its head and saying that they, in fact, are preventing the true spirit of God from being present in Jesus and in this way of life that he is, is showing all of us. I love this part where he says, people will be forgiven their sins and whatever blasphemies. You know what Jesus is saying here? Is that Jesus is radically inclusive Jesus loves everybody, but the one thing that Jesus will exclude is exclusion. Looking at a, a religious system that had dozens of lines drawn in the sand of who was in and who was out, Jesus is willing to erase all of that and say the one thing that will be included, excluded are people who draw lines in the sand. I think all of this is intentional. All of this is happening with a purpose. Jesus has called his apostles, and this is literally the first thing that they're witnessing happening with Jesus. I think Jesus is showing them two things. One, that he will struggle for the gospel. That he will struggle for love, justice, and inclusion. But I think Jesus is also intentionally showing the apostles what lies ahead for them. What lies ahead for anyone who will call themselves a follower of Jesus. So here's the good news of this text, the powerful good news, and I really want you to hear it. Jesus will struggle for you. Jesus sees you knows you, and calls you by name. 
Jesus will struggle to the ends of the earth to show you how much he loves you. To let you know that you're valid, that you're worth it, and that there is always a space at the table for you. Jesus will radically love you no matter what. That is the powerful good news of this text for all of us. This is Jesus showing what Jesus will do for each and every one of us. Even in a moment where Jesus knows absolutely what is at stake, Jesus will struggle for you. And such a big part of our faith is to encounter that love to experience it, to come to terms with those moments where we think to ourselves, Jesus couldn't possibly love me or accept me for this reason, for whatever it is that we hold inside, whatever line in the sand that we have drawn for ourselves. And then to have that encounter that that Jesus brings to us, that Jesus does love us just as we are, no matter what. But then the flip side of that coin, will you struggle for the gospel? Will you radically love others just as they are? Will you radically be inclusive of others? Will you help this church, Bethania, be a sacred and inclusive space that welcomes all who cross those doors? Will you stand up for justice and the outcast and the marginalized just the way that Jesus did? Will you struggle for the gospel even when it goes against the norms of our society today? That question I started with bears a little bit more weight now, doesn't it? Will you struggle for the gospel when maybe your friends and family think you're a little bit crazy? The church has been notoriously exclusive for a long time. It has become the Pharisees in this text, drawing lines in the sand telling people who's in and who's out. And I think that's happened because so many of us have been raised with this exclusive idea of Jesus, that Jesus is really about accepting only people who maybe believe in him or who live a certain lifestyle. But that's not who we see in this scripture today. That's not who we see in the gospel text at all. We see a a Jesus who will struggle for everybody with exception for maybe those who choose to exclude others. So will you struggle? And honestly, folks, if you're answering your head, that's why I wanted you not say it out loud also, because maybe you're a little more honest with yourself inside your head than when you're talking out loud in front of people. If your answer is no, then, then maybe you just simply haven't encountered this Jesus that we see today, this Jesus who just loves. I grew up with the idea of an exclusive church. Grew up with the idea of a God who only accepts certain people, and for a long time I rejected it. I wanted no part of it. 
Not until I had my own encounter with God's radical grace and love and inclusion, a God who sees me just as I am and who loves me and welcomes me just as I am, who sees me just as I am and says that I have gifts that I can share and to go and do it. And it wasn't until I had that encounter that I decided to become a pastor and realized that I have to struggle for the gospel. I have to share this because this encounter has been so meaningful for me in my life, so full of love and grace that I, I can't help but share it with other people. But especially all those who have been told that the church is exclusive, that God only accepts certain types of people. I felt like I had to go and shout it. The top of a mountain or maybe here in a pulpit. I have to struggle for the gospel. I cannot help myself. But I will also say that it took that encounter with God's radical grace and love for me to feel this way, for me to be compelled this way. And so if that's not you, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Maybe you just need to have that encounter still. A God who loves you and accepts you just as you are. So will you struggle for the gospel? I think you'll know the answer to that question when you can't help but struggle for the gospel. Amen.